Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. Back with us, his just historic return to the show. Our friend, some of you uh, might not call him a friend, but he's a friend <laughs> of ours. So Mets daddy, John Sheridan. Welcome back, my man. How you doing, Tim? Happy Bobby Valentine's Day to you. Happy Bobby Valentine's Day to you, my friend. Yeah, do you have your fake mustache on? No, I have a real one because uh, I have the fat guy beard going. Nice. Uh, it's still wintertime. You got to keep yes. that face warmth in. Absolutely. And, the, you know, opening day, morning of opening day, you take it off. It's, it's tradition now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You grew a playoff beard. Uh, that would be nice to do this year, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, we're, you know, last one I had was the Giants, and that was a, uh, that was a nice run. Yeah, that was a nice one. <laughs> right. We're coming up on a bunch of anniversaries, Giants wise, but we'll get to those. We're here to talk about the New York Metropolitans. Um, MD, it's been a wild offseason. I mean, roster wise, it's been a great offseason. It's been a tough couple of weeks and that's off the field and on the roster, uh, missing out on targets. Why the long phases? What's your what's your point of view on what we uh, saw go down this winter? You know, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to rate any offseason we have with an A plus because we have a new owner and competent leadership. Um, the long faces, I think people had a different concept of what a Steve Cohen ownership would be. Um, I think they were looking for, um, I'm going to, Characterize it as the 97 Marlins type offseason. Alex Fernandez, Moise Salou, Jim Eisenreich, like whoever the big name is out there, we're going to get them. And then we're going to get the other huge names with it, you know, on the next tier. Um, Steve Cohen said he was going to follow the Dodgers model. And really, he's done that. What was the Dodgers model? Let's go back. The, where this run this kind of jump started is they went to the Boston Red Sox and went, Adrian Gonzalez, you're overpaying him, right? You want to move him? Cole Crawford. Yeah, we'll take him, whatever. And they made this huge, massive deal. Uh, and I remember the key piece going back to the Red Sox was what? James Loney. So the <laughs> Mets, right. Mets did that deal. They got Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor. Um, people were all upset about JT Milamudo. There were two catchers on the market, really, that you can play every day. JT Real Muto and James McCann. And people forgot what a Cindy Alderson-led offseason was. How did he operate? He struck as hot as he could and got what he could get right off the bat. He did that. Trevor May and James McCann. What did Sandy do after that? He let the market come back to him. And that's what Sandy's currently doing. Okay. We didn't get Corey Kluber. We didn't get James Paxton. Um, Rattle him off. You know who's still out there? Jake Odorizzi. uh, Taiwan Walker. And I'm higher on him than seemingly every Mets fan alive. Rick Porcello. By the way... Right now, your top four starters before Cinderard comes. Jacob DeGrom, best pitcher in baseball. Marcus Stroman, big game pitcher. Carlos Carrasco, 
the he's the pitcher that pitchers love. David Peterson, big time rookie year. And then for your fifth starter, you're getting this nice mix developing of joining Yanomoto, uh, Joey Lucchese, um, Jared Eikhoff, maybe a Robert Gesellman. Um, you can probably get Corey Oswalt back because I can't imagine he's going to get claimed. The Mets are, have this really good rotation already, okay? Even without Trevor Bauer, who I personally thought would have been a fifth starter when Cindergard comes back. And that's the thing to keep in mind here. Why aren't pitchers coming? Well, they don't want to be on the bubble of the rotation when Noah Syndergaard comes back. If you're James Paxton uh, and you're struggling a little bit mental um, health-wise and you maybe not have figured it out and you think you're piecing it together, well, when Syndergaard comes, you could be a guy who moves to the bullpen. Am I signing with the Mets or am I going back to the Mariners? Rebuild my value. I, I think it was a no-brainer for him to go back to a place where he's had success. Sure. And so, oh, I'm I, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, and I look at this roster. Last year, our catcher was Wilson Ramos. Now it's James McCann. Is that not a massive upgrade? Oh, without a doubt. Um, your pitching rotation was Degrom. Well, that's obviously a push, but it's not going to be a push because Degrom is going to have a better defense out there. Yeah. Um. So he's going to naturally be better. Uh, is Stroman better than is Stroman a better sinker ball pitcher than Porcello? Uh, undoubtedly. Is Carlos Carrasco better than uh, Michael Waka? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is. is Lucchese and Yamamoto better than throwing Gaselman and Lugo into the rotation? I, I, I don't understand how that couldn't be the case. Right. Um, I love Andre Jimenez. He, it, he's going to be very good. And I don't want to say this to kind of denigrate him. He's going to be nowhere as good as Francisco Lindor. Right. Um, and then I think at second base, McNeil for Cano is a push at worst. So this Mets team, by the way, and everyone thought that 2020 team was going to win the division and make these expanded playoffs and have DeGrom lead them to a World Series or somewhat close. This team is infinitely better, mm-hmm. has another year of Hefner and Rojas where they kind of got – last year was really good where they kind of got some of their learning curve underneath them um, in a shortened season – uh, and now they're going to have a better front office to work with and help them out. Um, Pakoda projections come out, have the Mets at 95 wins before a team that is still looking to improve at third base and improve in the fifth spot in the rotation. And on, after the unfortunate Lugo news is probably going to add at least another reliever with still good relievers on the board. Yeah. I mean, Trevor Rosenthal is still out there. That's all right. Um, That's our pick. You know, you, I, uh, Mayor, um, <laughs> all these like-minded people. I mean, when when we signed Aaron Loop, I was screaming, why didn't you just sign Trevor Rosenthal? I don't get it. Um, but go through the list. This team is significantly better. And here's the key piece. I know fans are upset. Here's the key point. This team is not done. Don't take, oh, we didn't get Bauer. We were outbid. 
No, you weren't outbid. The Mets outbid the Dodgers. He just had zero intent on coming to the Mets. That that was apparent. Uh, we got outbid for James Paxson. No, Paxson wanted to go back to uh, the Mariners where he can rebuild his value. Right. The Mets aren't getting outbid. I mean, let's I, I, I put aside what Martino says. I, I Put that in the compartment where you know it belongs. Um, the Mets aren't getting outbid. It's just different. It's just different. It's, it's, it's kind of the way the system works right now. The Mets being owned by Cohen, who is one of the only owners with money who's willing to spend money. I'm not surprised that free agents are kind of bouncing around and coming back to the Mets, getting an offer and then going shopping that around again, because it's going to inflate their value. That's that's it's smart on their agents parts to go out and do this. Now, a guy like Paxton, like you said, he might have been a fit, but maybe at the dollar amount, he wasn't a fit for the Mets. And that's you know, that's how they should be operating. You don't just go out and get a guy because he's available. You get him because he fits. You could look at Justin Turner and say the same thing and the same thing. He was never coming here, but if the Mets wanted him and really wanted to make a push, I'm sure they could have, but for a guy who doesn't quite fit here and you can turn and look at George Springer and say, okay, well, he's 31 years old. He wants six years, 150 million. He's going to be a center fielder for how long? Two, three seasons, maybe. Maybe. It's not going to fit the Mets plans. And I like that they did that. They're being patient. Like you said, they're letting the market come to them. And um, and I agree with you 100 percent. They're not done. They have options now. You can go and, you know, there's no way I was going to bring you on the show and not bring up J.D. Davis. <laughs> so I'm trying to kind of ease ease my way into this and I'll kind of, I'll do it with Justin Turner. You know, this is a guy who certainly would have proven to be an upgrade from J.D. Davis. And that goes to for a lot of the guys who are being mentioned right now, especially as trade you know, targets, potential trade targets, your Chris Bryant's, your, um, your Gino Suarez is that uh, we'll stick to those two, but arguably any one of them would have provided an upgrade over J.D. Davis. My question to you is, is J.D. Davis the everyday, can he be the everyday third baseman on a winning ball club? Can he be hidden? Can he fit? Can he, his vulnerabilities slide by undetected? Um, there's a couple different ways I want to answer this. Um, and I think over the years, one thing where I have been more banging the drum on than most Mets fans, um, I'm much bigger on defense than most people. Um, I subscribe to defense wins championships, it, it, it's especially at different positions. Um, you know, people will say, well, we got rid, we got away with Wilmer Flores and Daniel Murphy as a up the middle combination in 2015. The answer to that is obviously yes. But then look at that starting pitching staff. You had four strikeout fly ball pitchers. You can get away with that type of up the middle, poor defense, but then you got to reset by addressing outfield. Now, in terms of outfield defense, uh, I mean, Granderson was almost a gold glover. Conforto proved to be much better than he was. You had Cespedes, um, who was able to hang it in center for a bit. Then you bring in Lagaris as a defensive replacement. By the way, and you throw Cespedes in left field who that year was a gold glover. Um, you got to build, 
the thing is you have to build your team to match your pitching staff. Mm-hmm. So I look at this pitching staff and I go, you know, I got Stroman in my rotation and I have David Peterson in my rotation. Uh, these guys are sinker ball pitchers. Um, Maybe Carrasco is a ground ball guy. And Carrasco is a ground ball guy. That's where I first go to it. And I look at it and I go, you know, Maybe with that type of staff, I can get away with Nimmo in center and Dom Smith in left because they're going to be hitting the ball in the ground more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't see how you get away with JD Davis in in um, third base. And one of the things I did is I had looked back and I think I wrote it up um, when this topic first was floated. But I think it was Anthony DeComo who said, "Are we sure Davis can?" and um, Piazza at first base had a better DRS than Davis has at third base for his career. <laughs> Lucas, Duda, Lucas Duda in left field had a better DRS than Davis had at third. Um, Wilmer was a better third baseman than Davey, J.D. Davis was, according to DRS. Now, if you ask me if Wilmer Flores could be the third baseman for this team – I'd probably laugh hysterically and say, stop being intoxicated by the walk-off homers. <laughs> um, with this pitching staff, I don't think J.D. Davis fits. Um, and I then go to this. Why is it, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, why do we treat one Luis Guillaume? I know you're not one of these people. Why is Luis Guillaume treated as almost a non-entity here? where why can't he be the second baseman with McNeil at third? McNeil is a very good defender at four different positions. Mm-hmm. McNeil did struggle at third yes, last year uh, in what was a herky-jerky year. Um, but I remember, and this is something Francesca used to pound the table at, McNeil would say his best position is third base. The metrics on McNeil at third base with last year's season um, where he struggled at the beginning of the season. He also struggled at the plate at the beginning of the year till he turned it back on. McNeil's a good third baseman. And if I'm looking at a team with a bunch of sinker ball pitchers, I want to run out there my best possible defensive infield. And that's Luis Guillorme at second. Um, McNeil at third, Lindor at short. And taking that a step further is and I guess this is my question to you. If you played JD Davis 162 games at third with McNeil at second, and um, you played Guillaume at second with McNeil at third, is that a push or is one better or the other? I see. I, I I've been talking about the the, the interchangeability of McNeil and Guillaume a lot. And I, and I, I do like that a lot. And if Davis does not prove to be a capable glove at third, cause I agree with you infield defense is we've seen how bad it can get without good infield defense. Um, it, it's just, it, it's paramount, especially with the pitching staff they've put together. So I do believe in JD Davis's bat. I, I think that that is his calling card though. It, his glove is never going to be his strength. The idea of Guillaume, who's hit very well, you can go back to his last recall in August of 2019, 
Since right. then, he's been a, 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 a top flight major league hitter. And granted, he's gotten like 100 plate appearances, but they've been sporadic. And he's doing that in, you know, very, very lengthy um, spaces between at bats. And he's still, he's, it, it appeared like he found his confidence. So I'm okay with him in, in there every day. As far as infield defense, I think both McNeil and McGuillaume can play second or third, and they can do it very, very well. Um, I'd be okay with that. I, I, I really would. And I, I'd like to see J.D. Davis on the bench because I think him coming off the bench, his bat is a, is a plus for the, for the team. It's a plus. It, it lengthens kind of everybody's uh, – it, it gives Rojas options. It gives, you know, someone needs a, needs a, a rest, you know, Go ahead, Davis, get in a third today, whatever the case may be. But I'm not as worried about Davis at third. I think that Lindor at shortstop is going to hide him very well. Um, 2019, actually, Davis had really good metrics going side to side. He was plus one going towards third. This is outs above average. Plus right. one going towards third, plus two going towards first, negative two going in. And we saw that. We, we definitely saw that. In 2020, those all of his numbers pretty much flipped. He was negative two going towards third, negative one going towards first, and he was even going in. So, you know, he's just kind of, to me, your basic inconsistent average third baseman. But with Lindor next to him, you know, and then that's like, that's legendary range. That's, you know, we're going to be so, so happy with what we're seeing. I mean, I think the shortstop play that Lindor brings is probably better than what Reyes was at his peak. I'm just so excited wow. for it. Yeah, I really no, do. I, I think you're 100% right. I think um, on that one, I think Lindor is incomplete. I think Lindor is closer to the Ray Ordonez and the Jose Reyes class, a lot closer. Ordonez, that's a, that's rarefied air. But I think I really do think he has Reyes, um, you know, in a, in a dead heat because they're both just, they were, you know, Reyes was a terrific fielder. Lindor is just as good. And I think that that would give the Mets the opportunity to stick a arguably defensive liability in Davis at third when they have to. But I I do, as long as Guillaume keeps hitting, I don't see the problem with McNeil and Guillaume at second and third. And that's in either or spot. I really don't see an issue there. And here's the thing that bothers me conceptually um, about not giving Guillaume the shot. You're going to put, Nimmo in center field and Dom in left field. Why? Because of offense. You're plus offensively at catcher first, second, short, right. You're going to be plus offensive across the outfield. You're going to be plus offensive at catcher first and short. And, And second, if you put McNeil there, I don't understand DH or not DH, why you can't just put a player out there who's going to be what? Worst case, a 90 WRC plus, um, but who's going to be like a four to five OAA over the course of the season. Right. I mean, look at the 99 team. Reyes couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag that was already on fire. But you see, but there was bats across the lineup. And uh, went, Ordonez, Ordonez. Oh, yeah, Ordonez. Thank you. No, that's no, all right. I was like, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a second. What? I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> You're right. Ordonez couldn't hit the broadside of the barn if you put his bat against it. He was that bad at the plate. Now, 99 was actually his best year, but that's besides the point. 
the Mets at least understood with Bobby Valentine and, and all that it was, let's get one guy in here who can just be phenomenal defensively at an important position. Now, third, not as important, but then do you want to neutralize some of the benefit you get from a Francisco Lindor up the middle by having him having right. to shade over um, it's, it's a, it's a good question. And I think it's a good conversation, um, you know, but I'm biased. I, I really <laughs> believe in Luis Guillorme here. No, no, I'm, I'm saying I'm just biased on the Guillorme front. Oh, I, sure. believe, I believe oh, you're, pre- you're preaching to the choir there. I'm a big Guillorme fan, I, I, you know, and all this guy has done is proven he can play. Right. To me, I look at Guillaume, Luis Castillo in his prime without the steals. That's fair. And and even less of a slap hitter. Like like Castillo was such a slap guy and he could just kind of sprint down the line. Guillaume could spray it and he he has no qualms about spraying and he doesn't strike out. And I like Guillaume. I like him a lot. Like that's that's a ball player. And you know one thing I like about Guillaume on this team he has such a McNeil approach at the plate. They all do. He's got the McNeil to lean on, to talk to, to say like, do I do this? Do I do that? Like they just have very similar approaches. The difference is, is McNeil could let it fly. Well, actually we saw Guillaume, um, what was it? The August 10th game, let it fly in that pinch hit Homer, uh, his first Homer of his career. Uh, But Guillaume can drop down a bunt. Um, He do a lot of great things for you. You know, he's just kind of that glue guy who I think just makes would make this work. Um, Plus, you know, up the middle defense with sinker ball pitchers of Guillaume and Lindor. Uh, I mean, I mean, you can't do better than that. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro, FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can't. And if he keeps on hitting, I mean, you're not going to get power out of him. When you do, it's a bonus. But yeah, oh, I think, you know, like I said, if Davis shows that he doesn't have it or maybe if the bat's not there again, because... You know, you can't ignore he did have a, a bit of an up and down 2020. Um, the OBP is there and the exit velocity was still somewhat there. But, um, you know, he wasn't that red hot 
hitter. And it was only, you know, 200 plate appearances. So, you know, you can't take it with, with much more than a grain of salt. But right. yeah, if he's if he's not producing, I mean, that's the benefit of having so much versatile depth. Um, and, you know, one thing. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go, no, no, no. Just it's next just, man up. Yeah. One thing one thing I think of with J.D. Davis, too, is I think of the, how the, the roster is comprised. You know, you have Nimmo, who still has a good OBP against left-handed pitching, but he doesn't hit lefties as well. Yeah. You have Dom Smith, who actually started to hit lefties well as his careers began and, you know, progressed, but his historical numbers aren't there. Um, you look at the thing is, like, you'd like to have a situation where um, – I don't know. You have Nimmo do up in the game or you have McNeil or whomever, especially with the three batter rule for a pitcher. And the, the, the other team goes to the bullpen to bring in the lefty. It's like, are you going to bring in the lefty knowing that JD Davis is going to come in and pinch hit um, in any of the next three batters to break up the string of lefties? Or is it, do you keep them honest? And now you leave a more fatigued pitcher to face a McNeil, a Nimmo, a Conforto. Um, I, I think that's another factor you need to keep into account here is Dede Davis off the bench gives the Mets a strategical benefit. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, because look, as we said, we both like Guillaume. Is Guillaume going to frighten anyone coming off the bench? Is, um, Who's the guy? Uh, is VR going to frighten anyone coming off the bench? Um, maybe Jose Martinez would, um, but we don't even know if he's going to make the opening day roster. Right. Um, I think. And by the way, Jose Martinez, ugh, he makes J.D. Davis look like a great left fielder. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure where you're going to stick him if there's no DH. Right. Exactly. So where I go to on this is from a strategic standpoint is – I love the idea of Davis being a weapon you deploy. And you know what? And the other thing too is, and this is another thing I think about, let's say you fall down early in the game, four or five runs, just have Davis pinch it for Guillaume and just move the deal back to second. You can kind of play that game of like, let's just unleash Davis to try to catch up offensively here. Yeah. Oh, and then let him hit his stride and then boom, you know, that's the, the beauty of having depth. You play the hot hand. It's the old Terry Collins way. Or why not? We Why aren't we just talking? Why don't you straight up platoon them? Oh, you could do that. I, I don't have splits in front of me, but um, I'm sure, you know, these days your, your, your platoons have a lot more than splits going into the decision. So um, exactly. You know, exactly. This isn't your old uh, Gil Hodges left, righty, pure straight through. This is, no, this is a guy for maybe J.D. Davis. He has a, more of an ability to get lift off the ball, whereas yeah. with Guillaume, this is more of a fastball type of pitcher, you know, type of deal. Yeah, um, and Davis, Davis does hit um, – he hits lefties well. I know he tattoos Corbin. He he, he's, he tattoos Corbin. If, if Corbin is anywhere near a game, I don't care if J.D. Davis is playing shortstop or center field. He needs to be in the lineup. Get him in there. Now yeah. – and I guess the conversation that we're having regarding Davis kind of ties the same way into, into Nimmo. Like he might not be an above average center fielder and granted he hasn't had a lot of time there. And, and previously before last year, he never had a negative OAA in center. Right. Field. He didn't spend a lot of time, but it, let's say he's just an average center fielder like that. In my opinion, that plays. 
because that does play. Like you were saying, it's it's a net positive, and you know your 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 offense that you're bringing with that is going to work. And you have two very good corner outfielders next to him. And well, not, well, you have Conforto and you have, you have Dom Smith most likely, but um, even on the days you get Albert Almora in there um, on those days, you're going to have phenomenal defense in the outfield. Uh, yeah. Um, the, here's the problem. Um, and I know, I know the game the Mets are playing here. Everybody knows it. Um and I'll give Dom Smith credit. He has gotten so much better in left than anyone possibly could have imagined. Uh, if you look at his metrics, they're probably better than anyone should have reasonably expected, especially given his sprint speed. Um, but this is also, I guess for the outfield too, people forget some sometimes how Luis Rojas really cut his teeth. Um, he's a good coach um he was a guy who before in uh 2018 oh, was it 19 it was 19 worked extensively with jeff mcneil to get him ready for left field and if you remember jeff mcneil was a positive drs and an all-star as a left fielder mm-hmm. um i think dom smith rating well uh in metrics last year i think we see because uh, we don't talk about a lot of the positive attributes Luis, uh, Luis Rojas had on the team. I think um, Dom Smith's play in left field was a big sign that Rojas was having a really big impact on this team. Right. Um, I would like a better defensive left fielder next to Nimmo. Um but this goes back to the conversation we had earlier vis-a-vis J.D. Davis. This is a pitching staff that's going to get a lot of ground balls here. Yeah, You're going to be able to get away a little more um, with Nimmo and um, Dom and left. And I know you and I have had this conversation before. The big elephant in the room is what is Michael Conforto going to be defensively next year? Right. He's been up and down. Because his numbers at the plate skyrocketed last year to the levels we all thought they would eventually be at. Mm. Uh, But defensively, he fell off a cliff. Uh, And part of it was he lost more than a step in the outfield. Um, Now, and this is the problem 2019, we had the juice ball. 2020, um, we had the disjointed season. It's hard to tell how many of these players succeeded because of a juice ball, how many of these players would have been better defensively if it wasn't a juice ball and they had an opportunity to get to the ball easier. Two. I mean, that's a little bit part of it, too. Oh, sure. Um, sure. Yeah, exit velocity doesn't come from nowhere. Right. If the exit velocity is like a couple takes higher, a ball you would have had two years ago, you're not getting to. Um, but with Conforto, he lost speed. I think part of that could easily be attributed to you ramp up in March. You shut it down. Um, you can't go to a gym. Um, you can't work with a trainer. Um, for how long? I mean, because remember, with the, the shutdown this time last year, 
looks a lot different than the shutdowns still in place look right now. I mean, back then you did nothing. So basically you're running around wherever. And I, I, I don't know where he lives, doesn't live, but you know, it doesn't even matter. He's not working at the gym. He's not working out with trainers except for over zoom. Uh, there's only so much you can do. Um, so it's, it's hard to, and this goes to what you were saying, you know, about Davis having a tough year last year. It's hard to really pass judgment on players who had poor years last year. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's entirely fair to do so um, unless they had prior numbers that married with this. Um, so I think for Nimmo to work in center, I think Conforto is going to have to be Conforto again. Um, and by the way, that is literally the $200 million question the Mets have right now. <laughs> it sure is. Um, because if you're in the Mets, do you hedge your bets and re-sign Stroman and Syndergaard and Lindor and let Conforto walk? Because they got four huge names coming off, coming up this off season. Um, And I think, and I think we're all on the Lindor train and my best bet going forward, aging wise, it may be Stroman. See, I I would love to find a way to, to, to fit all four of them in. And I think there is a way to fit all four of them in. If you, if you do it right way and you backload guys and, or uh, whatever that you might have to front load some guys to fit in the extra two down the road. But, um, I think Syndergaard – see, in my mind, Syndergaard's more of a, can, a candidate for an extension this spring training um, right. than anyone else. <laughs> get him, no, get him you, locked you, up you, now you before he's Yeah, you give Syndergaard the next year at a big number. Um, by the way, this is where the Mets offering Bauer $40 million hurts them a lot. If I'm Stroman and Syndergaard, I sit there and go, you were going to give Bauer $40 million, and I'm a better pitcher historically than he is. Yeah. Well, we. I'd love to say that – I guess, no, we, we do know that the Mets made Bauer an offer, right? We, we know that for a fact. Was it ever confirmed right. Was it ever confirmed by the organization <sighs> that they made the highest, no, the highest one? Because, you know, you could see how that could get thrown out there, but – I could also see them going out and saying, look, this is our number. And, um, and Bauer just making his decision. I don't know. I feel like maybe we don't know the whole story there. No, we don't, but the rumor is out there and it's hard to unring a bell. It is. Oh, most definitely go ask Bob Nightingale. (laughs) The guy who finally apologized. Oh, good for him. Oh, Oh. he took, he took like four days worth of shit. And then he just popped up and said, Oh yeah, my bad. Good for him. (laughs) I was laughing. It's like you get everything else wrong and you choose to apologize for the one where you were probably the least wrong on Bob. Oh, that one was going on his that one was going on his proverbial gravestone. I mean, um, you know, hey, you know, he came out and apologized. What else can you do? But but, but yeah, that was a big Bob, one. That was a big one. But to be fair to Bob here, I, I think it was uh, Disha Thosar's article where uh, and if it's not her, I apologize to the writer who said, um, for Sandy, this is the closest he ever got in a negotiation and not landed the landed the player. I saw that, too. I, and I, I do believe that was Disha. But yeah. I, again, I don't remember. We read, I read so much stuff. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if it's Tim Healy, feel free to send me a DM. <laughs> I'm kidding. And I'll, I'll remind him again of Noraldo Catalina. <laughs> you guys got a good little thing going there. It's funny. Yeah. Right? We're the only people who seem to be uh, obsessed with Noraldo Catalina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, um, I, I we got into a very brief conversation this week and, and I was taken aback by your answer. So everybody heard about the Albert Almora uh, MLB.com had him in there as number five, which, of course, was right. just, you know, your, your basic protocol coming from his last uh, organization. That was his jersey number. Um, there was a bit of an uproar on Mets Twitter. Everyone, oh, you know, you can't give out number five. And, you know, most of us knew that that wasn't the case. But right. um if me and you spoke about, a, 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 I guess, an issue that comes with it. Right. I, I guess, uh, of course, everybody, you know, that I just started the Apple and Mets Daddy is going to be contributing on a, on a, you know, sporadic basis or what have you. And um, we brought it up like, you know, we can't, uh, the Mets really can't give out, or this was, or this was MD's idea. The Mets really can't give out rights Jersey that fast. And I right. came back, I came back with, Oh, I don't think they're ever going to give it out. I think that's going to be retired. And Mets daddy doesn't think that that's necessarily um, or, or necessary. Uh, and I, I, I kind of want you to expand on that because sure. I, what you did in general, like you gave me a little bits and pieces. I see where you're coming from, but I, I, I'm, I, I still want to hear the whole thing because I, I can't wrap my, wrap my head around that one. No, 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 it's fine. And I want to start with this. I'm no way mock, knocking or denigrating David Wright. Of course, of course. Is, a phenomenal player. And um, honestly, if things had, were different, um, if, you know, John Neese, who screams about defense, actually covered a base, um, <laughs> we, we'd be talking Hall of Fame. But that's kind of where, you know, I'm of the former Mets, Los Angeles Dodgers mindset. Um, I, I like the tiering of you have your hall of fame for your beloved and great players, but the number of retirement should be for baseball legends like how the Mets had until, until they went the Kuzman route. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm never going to knock Jerry Kuzman, uh, you know, if not for him, the Mets don't win in 69. Um, 100% right. And by the way, if you're, and I think I said at the time, if you're going to lower your standards, Jerry Kuzman being the first person to get it was 100% the right call there. Um, but I liked the concept of um, your Hall of Famers get the number retired. Everyone else goes in the Hall of Fame, in your team Hall of Fame. Um, I think one of the reasons why that doesn't work for a number of fans is one, they don't really care um, about that or they have their own standards and they're like, I grew up with David five, David Wright and he's five. He should only be number five. Um, I think, and I think you're a little bit around my age, Tim. Yeah. Um, 37. I had to think about it. 37. (laughs) Right. I, when I think of number five, I think Davey Johnson, who, by the way, why the number five was never retired for him, I don't understand. Um, you know, especially with the standard they had for managers. 
Um, I think John Olderoot, who is a great number five for the Mets, albeit short. Um, so I don't automatically just think David Wright. Um, again, I love David Wright. Um, and I know what the counter argument is, is David, this, this is now a franchise that's over 60 years old. David Wright owns all the records. You know, he should be the guy. Um, let's go back to our Conforto discussion. Um, Conforto signs an extension. He's going to pretty much erase a lot of David Wright's records. Um, so, and I will, I think I have argued over the summer during the shutdown. I argued that I don't think Daryl Strawberry gets enough of a look for being the Mets best position player. Uh, he has a higher WRC plus and he averaged a better war per season uh, than Wright did. Uh, and that's even when you take out the tail end of Wright's career, where it's like, you know, the 38, the 36 and the two. Yeah. Games. So from my perspective is I don't, and you know, and I guess to sum it all up is I don't like looking at the Mets as the Cubs, the lovable losers, you know, where the, the kid sister, you know, kid brother to the Yankees. No, we're, we're the White Sox, bro. Yeah. <laughs> no, we are. We are the White Sox. We, we are the Oakland A's. We are the, where, you know, I guess the Tampa Bay Rays or the, we're the Kansas Mons. city Royals across the river from, from the Kansas the Reds. City Royals. But you know, the Mets are a legitimate longstanding baseball team. Oh, for sure. They're at now a historic franchise. I look, I want to look at, I love the idea of, and look, maybe the, the answer is, yeah, you retire rights number, but now you only build statues for your Hall of Famers. If that's the route you want to go, fine, I'm with you. But I just think your Hall of Famers, the people who are in Cooperstown wearing a hat, need a separate and distinct honor than your other franchise greats. That's fair. And, that, and that's how it was for so long. And that's that's they waited till Piazza got in to bring him into the Mets Hall of Fame, right? Uh, they, they didn't retire. They retired his number the same day they did his Hall of Fame ceremony at City Field. Yeah, but they, they waited to retire his number until he was inducted into Cooperstown, correct? Right. They did wait. The yeah, and they, they didn't wait, but that was a fait accompli. Um, no, I... No, they it was definitely retired before because I remember. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that was two different. I, I was at both nights and it was two. I was a little kid, man. I was yeah. seven, eight years old. And, oh, that was awesome. I saw my dad cry for the first time. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, you know, if it was up to me, um, I think Wright has to go up. I would give Davey Johnson a day in the sun um, on that same day. He cannot put number five up there. Uh, without mentioning Davey Johnson, I'd love to see John Olerud in the mix. But uh, oh, yeah. I think but you I can't think retire even... the number for Olerud, though. He wasn't here long enough. No, no. But I think a kind word on that day would be nice. But either either way, um, I, like, I like the it... idea of the statues, man. But give me a, give me a David Wright fist pump from Labor Day 2015. Like, 
Give me oh, that statue outside. Wow. How awesome would, would that be? You know, that's fun. You know, you talk about it. Seaver statue has to have Seaver's knee dragging through the dirt. Yeah. Piazza has to have that. You know how he had that slightly different finish on the opposite field homer than he did pulling yes. a ball. He needs Most to have definitely. That opposite field homer finish through. And you're right. Right would need that fist pump. With the one um, leg up in the air. Yeah. And DeGrom, you would need that like finger point. Oh, I see. I, I have DeGrom behind his glove. All you see is his eyes. It's you that. know what? You're right. You're right. It has oh. to be DeGrom behind his glove. You're right. It doesn't you know, have to be that. Steve Cohen, I hope you're still listening to the show. You're not on Twitter, so of course you don't follow the pod on uh, on Twitter anymore. But I hope you're still listening because these are the fan suggestions you need to hear, my man. Um, these are our statue ideas. Oh, we got to we gotta put this one out there. How oh, cool yeah, would that you be? Know what? Maybe I should write up what the statue should look like. <laughs> That'd be a fun piece. But that would be one awesome. Thing, one thing I want to throw out here. Please do. By, by no means, if they retire Wright's number, I'll be thrilled for him. Uh, uh, and I'll be in the ballpark, you know, tears like coming up, like just thinking, man, if only, you know, such and such, he would have been in the Hall of Fame. I would not, if the Mets would, say they're going to retire his number. I'm not going to turn around and go, Oh, he doesn't deserve it. You know, I'll be, I'll just be thrilled for him. And I'll completely understand where the franchise is coming from. Um, He more than has earned that honor. Um, But I just, I just have a higher standard. And the more we flush this out, I'm now leaning towards, yeah, retire his number, but give Piazza a statue. (laughs) That's, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, you could even go around the stadium. It's not like they're, it's not like they're the Yankees where they've retired a million numbers. Um, you know, whoever you retired, if you retire the number, they get a statue. I think that's the right the right thing to do. You know, no one's going to wear 48 after DeGrom. Um, yeah. And who knows who else is going to be on that list in like 10 years? You know, it would have been it, the next retired number. Probably if they left the old standard, probably would have been Carlos Beltran. I don't know if he's going to see the Hall of Fame now. Yeah, probably not. That's a shame. In my eyes, he's a Hall of Famer. But um, and you know, what, you know what the shame of that too is when it's Bobby Thompson. It's a chuckle, chuckle story. Oh, baseball back then, ha ha. Um, they did, and they did exactly what the Astros did, and pretty much exactly. What, and think of what they did to that poor Dodgers team. Yeah, Johnny Padres. Think of no, what they did. That wasn't him. Who, who was the pitcher who gave it? Wasn't was it Johnny Padres who gave it no, up? No, it was um, Johnny um, Padres won Game Seven in '55. He won Game he, he won Game Seven. Johnny Padres was the first ever World Series MVP. Right, very um, good, MD. Very good. I had to throw that piece a tidbit because I can't remember who Bobby Valentine's relative was who threw the pitch. Oh, yeah, that, that's He's related to Bobby V. Really. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Now, now I got to take the phone out for this one. Sorry, everybody. There's no. There's going to be no dead air here. We're going to keep. We're going to yeah. keep moving through. But um. um but Thompson. yeah. But but yeah. When you go through like, what, what what Bobby Thompson did and what that Giants team did was no different than what the um, Ralph Bronca. Ralph Bronca. Yes. Should have known that. I can't believe I didn't remember that. Ralph Bronca. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. Bronca. What that. 
Giants team did was no different than what the Astros did. And by the way, the Astros did it against the Yankees team doing the same thing. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's kind of like funny how the Yankees go, whoa, 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 whoa. You are better at it than we were. How dare you? <laughs> it's very good. Um, not that what the Astros did wasn't wrong. And but by the way, not everybody, but there was other people doing it. You can't. There were rumors out of Milwaukee where Christian Yelich went from a nice player to an MVP. Um, You know, um, and Ryan Braun went from a steroid user to, you know, whatever, you know, he's still doing it and he's doing it clean. Oh, maybe he is. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, but again, this is, we don't know how level the playing field actually was like, that's why you can't asterisk. Well, I guess you can, but. You can do whatever you want. You can't, you can't take you can't take away the World Series because you don't know what was going on 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 any other side of the of the field. So you know, right? And you know, uh, you know the you know going through it, you know, overall, it's kind of like one as a Mets fan. I wish I'm upset that Granderson didn't get one, um, yeah. partially because of this. Um, but, but honestly, they made it sound like. Uh, Beltran was running a, you know, running wires and setting up AV uh, <laughs> systems throughout the ballpark. Like, yeah. come on. No, he come was on. the fall guy. Him and Corey were the fall guys. And that's just, it's piss poor. It's, and you know what went into that decision and we're not going to get into that on the show today, but no, no, it's, no, it, it's, I, I, it's yeah. awful. It's just, it's despicable. And that's, yeah. that's why when then Fred's finally done with this job, Oh, there's going to be it's it's not going to be quite the Wilpon celebration, but it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be up there because what what, what Manfred has done to this sport and it's not just our conversations as fans about universal DH seven inning double headers runner on second. What he did to the minor leagues is and, and just taking baseball away from communities. Yeah, it, it's inexcusable. I don't understand how. And say what you want about Bud Selig. He was only interested in growing the game. Yeah, whatever his whatever his motives. I mean, his motive was always to grow the game. It doesn't matter. It, it does matter how he got there, but his it his does. end pro, his end product was always building the game. And I guess Manfred's doing that too, but in just a, a backwards, yeah, crooked he, ass lawyer way. But you know what? You know what? It's worse than that. Tim. His only objective is money. Which, well, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, we know it's a business. None of us are stupid, yeah. but he would have no problem. I, I would bet if somebody came up to him, like doubled their postseason revenue, he would set up a NCAA field of 64 and create 32 teams so he can do Every team makes a postseason. Oh, how exciting. One and done. And we'll do best of seven. You know, I've got to shut up because I'm going to give him a really terrible idea and he's going to run with it. Oh, you know that they've tossed this around focus groups for for decades now. You know, you absolutely know it. Uh, Yeah. You know, and it's the day we get a 500 or sub 500 team is the day where. What have you done? I know the Astros just made it under 500, but you did what you had to do last year. It made sense in 2020. Um, But let's look forward to get back to, uh, you know, what we had. I mean, 
I don't know about you. I thought the wild card game, winner take all, was amazing. These wild card series, best of three, it was like, eh. No, see, I, I would, I would rather you. In my eyes, you can't do a hundred and sixty-two game season and let it come down to one. I hate that. I'd rather it be three, and that's that's also why I don't mind seeing a a below five hundred team squeak into the playoffs. Because if you give them a series against a team. That should come out in the wash, the fact that one team is better than the other. And if, you know, if that sub 500 team can beat that, you know, 100 win team, two out of three, you got to tip your cap to them. And if they go to the next round, if they knock off the next 95 win team, maybe these fucking 80, 84, 80 and 82 teams, um, these guys ain't so bad. Maybe they just had a rough go and they're getting hot at the right time. See in football, I don't like that where, you know, the NFC East, they, they can make the playoffs at six and 10 and, and, and win one game and they're in, you know, win two games. They're in the conference finals. I don't, I don't like that in baseball. I think it, it keeps you honest. The fact that you do have series, um, See, rarely, man. rarely, rarely do I think that the, the worst team is going to win a seven game or a five game series. Rarely. No, I, I get that point, but, Think back to 2006, but that's a whole other ball wax. Um, oh, yeah. No, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, but I, but j- just looking at it objectively, is if you're doing this to create fan interest, uh, I did not have the, I'm talking just as a fan, and I'm, I'm the guy who watches on a bad year 160 of 162 yeah. um, for the Mets. Um, I, I'm not as invested in the best of three between two teams I don't like or don't care about than I am as the winner take all. Um, yeah, got, we know we're always going to watch winner take all, but I uh, see, I'll watch, I'll, I'll watch a, 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 you know, an AL West matchup in the middle of August at, a, at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. I'll just watch it to watch baseball. Um, you know, that that playoff mentality comes right. in. I don't care if it's the Mariners versus the Angels in the in the playoffs. You know, game one of the wild card. I don't care. It's still playoff mentality. It's still playoff baseball. I dig it. And, and I know that I might, you know, everyone might not agree with me, but um, I, I yeah, I, I like the expanded postseason. I really do. Yeah, I, I didn't get into it as much this year. I, look, I watched it. I, I you know, I'm, but it's baseball. I'm going to watch, you know, mm-hmm. Um. I didn't find myself as emotionally invested as I typically am, you know, cause I think to that crazy Cardinals um, Braves winner take all game. Uh, you get some of these really off the wall winner take all games, um, which are, it, it's just, you know, it, I love it. I don't love the best three. Cause the other thing too is I won the division. I won a hundred plus games. Yeah. Why do I have to, you know, you know, like like we've seen in baseball, Bobby Jones threw a one hitter in, against the Giants. You know, you get these random like we saw Steve Traxel for the Cubs against the Giants in '98. I mean, we talk about the uh, 07 08 collapses. That '98 collapse was more painful. Um, oh, Dusty um, Baker! Dusty Baker almost never came back from that. You know, no, Dusty Baker came back from it. And then, and then um, I'll say Moise Salou and Alex Fernandez happened. Oh, um, that was a, a killer. Uh, I, not Fernandez, Alex Gonzalez. Yeah, Gonzalez, I'm sorry. I need to. Yeah. 
Because did Steve Bartman cause Alex Gonzalez to boot the ball? No. A gold glover to just boot it? No. I put that <laughs> series more on Moise Salou. He lost his cool and got everyone like bundled up. Like a bundle uh, of nerves. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I think he turned it into more than it was. I think that he that was a catchable ball. But either way, um, you yeah. know, it, it is it, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like we, we have gotten a bit off course here, but um, oh, of course, as we is, always this is all, Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is all good stuff. Um, MD, what do you got cooking this week? Uh, I know we got pitchers and catchers coming in. You working on it? Uh, excuse me. Are you working on anything on your end? I probably should have something better planned. Um, honestly, the thing I'm just looking at in general is, you know what it is, you know, I really am working on, I want Marcus Stroman to finish his career as a man. Um, I, the thing I take away from him um, during his Mets career um, and seeing him this is a guy who's going to age well because this is a guy who leaves no stone unturned. Uh, we saw him working on new pitches. Uh, we saw him working with DeGrom, um, trying to emulate some of the things he, he does. I wanted, if you told me 10 years from now, Stroman was throwing the Dickey knuckleball it wouldn't surprise me because Stroman is that rare guy who he has an ego. He does have an ego, but he doesn't have an ego when it comes to, I can be better. And I, I love Marcus Stroman for that. And if it's me and I look at this team, yes, Francisco Lindor is your top priority, but in my mind, number two uh, and I didn't think that entering this offseason initially, but I think your second priority right now should be Marcus Stroman because there was that old Casey Sengel saying, what's your batting average? He doesn't know because he just comes to beat you. And that's Stroman. <laughs> he's just coming to beat you. If he had to pitch left-handed, he's going to do it. And he's going to learn how to be Pat Venditti if that's what his career needs to be. Um, it's such a unique, extra, higher-level drive that you don't even see. Like, he's the Grom-level drive Yeah, as a pitcher. You can see it. You can see it. Um, and he has this thirst. We don't talk about this uh, enough about players. Um, he has this thirst to learn and get better. Um it's not to say players don't want to get better, but he just has this thirst for the knowledge to get better. We, we spent a whole off season talking about Trevor Bauer and how he's this analytics nerd and he's the future. Why? I, I know people will have their answer. Why people don't have the same conversation about Marcus Stroman drives me up a wall. I, dude, I don't think we've ever seen a pitcher at least come through New York publicly put so much work into his craft. Like when you say he has an ego, I can understand how people get that. And of course we don't know him. We don't know. him. No, yeah, but no, of course, of course we all have an ego to a certain extent. Exactly. I, but I think that's confidence. I just think that's, an, yes. that's just confidence literally coming out of his pores. I don't, I, I don't take that as much as an, as a, as an ego, like a, um, 
fuck you, you're better than me, like I'm better than you type thing. It, it's just a, it's I'm like you said, I'm here to beat you. And I'm going to do all I can to put myself in the best position to beat you. And, you know, that type of intensity, that goes such a long way, especially with the talent and the intelligence. Forget about it. I'm, I'm with you 100%. Marcus Stroman is the guy, whether he sticks around and, I, you know, he, I think I think he might test the market, especially if he has a strong year. I wouldn't blame him for testing the market. Um, no. I, I do believe that the Mets would be um, – they would be sorry to let him go. I, I I definitely agree with you there. And I'm looking to, I'm looking, I said it on who, what's my hot take Marcus Stroman for an L, an L Cy Young. That's my hot take. You know what? I, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's a much a hot take. And this goes back to our early conversation. If you told me Guillermo is a second baseman. And I think I said this at some point during the um, off season, if you put, and I may have said it with Colton Wong. Uh, so forgive me if I'm mixing up what I said, uh, there's always people on Twitter, you know, um, back checking you. If you put Guillaume at second base with McNeil at third with Lindor, Stroman may not win the Cy Young, but he is sure as shit going to be top five. Yeah, he is. I think Stroman is due for a monster year. Um, the things he he did, spent his time off doing spending his off season what he's been doing to improve the game and by the way this is a big game pitcher we also what he did in wbc we saw what he did returning early from an acl injury in the postseason for the blue jays mm-hmm. um, down the stretch in 2019 in september he had a, a, a sub three era going down the stretch and that's including one really bad start yeah no, this guy, he steps it up. And I think that he he knows how 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 high the Mets' chances of, co- of competition are this year. And I think that yeah. he's going to play up to that. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. But, um, and he's the reason why I have faith in this season. Yeah. Um, he's going he's gonna to pitch. You know what he'll probably be like? I'll, I'll put it to you like this. He may be like Zach Wheeler where he pitches like an ace and people are going to refuse to acknowledge he's pitching like an ace. Of course. They are just pre pre preconceived notions. He, he could pitch to a sub one ERA over 32 starts and they'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, he's a fucking number three. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> get people saying he's a three or four. They're out of their fucking mind. <laughs> Roman is at worst a two. Oh, at worst. And I think on the right staff, he could be a number one. And I think you know, I, on, on, on this staff with Syndergaard going, maybe with Carrasco, maybe he's a three, maybe he's a four. Yeah, it's but an arbitrary just, thing. But exactly, with this staff. But if we're talking how you rate pictures, he's a one or a two. You no, know, for sure. On most staffs, you know. Um, I look, uh, DeGrom could be pitching in Iowa, and he's a one. He's pitching in Cooperstown. He's a one, um, you know, but like Stroman, um, I take him over Hyunjin Ryu in Toronto. Um, go across the board. You know, there's a lot of teams where he's their one. Put him in Atlanta. Where does he fit in Atlanta? Between your Freeds and your Sorokas and, and you no. Know, where is he? And, yeah. Where, where, where does he fit? And, you know, talking about getting off track. Um, <laughs> I was Atlanta. ready to tie it up. I think we I know, I know. But, but, real, but I guess real quick with Atlanta. Of um, course. I don't know how good they're going to be. I mean, 
you're ex- they just lost Ozuna, and I don't think they replaced him. Yeah. And that the, the Ozuna, Ozuna was a replacement for Donaldson. Who's their guy this year? I know Wait. they always find a guy, but they haven't found it. Didn't Ozuna go back to Atlanta? Oh, did he? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold I, on. I know. Well, no, because there was reports that he went to that he went to Tampa Bay, and then that fell through. Oh, no, yeah. For, yeah, we knew that was. Um, we knew that yeah, was he, wrong. He's back you know to the Braves. He did go back to the Braves. That's what I was going to say. He went back to the but he yeah. has to play the outfield. Oh, he has to. Yeah, exactly. He has to play the outfield. Th- that's that's what it was. He has to play the outfield. He can't DH. It's going to be tough. And he's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's worse than J.D. Davis in the left field. Yes. Um, it's J.D. Davis-like. Um, <laughs> because we know Ozuna used to be a gold glove caliber player out there. I mean, there's still he an was. inherent working knowledge at the position. Yeah, but he just doesn't look good out there when he is out there anymore. No, no, not in the least. We're, we're talking Julio Franco playing third base in 2006 oh. you know, on, on clinch day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, we were all bleary eyed for that one. Oh, yes, we were. <laughs> <laughs> MD, this has been um, this has been a lot of fun. We're going to do this again yes. very soon. I can't wait. I really <laughs> can't wait. I, it, it was too long. Um, hopefully we do it again sometime soon, but I know you got a lot of heavy hitters now for this. And that's just a testament to the job you've done with, oh, with thanks, it. Man. It's phenomenal. Thank you, bro. Um, yeah, I guess once the season starts, um, we're going to continue with the Monday morning, Friday morning releases to a Monday morning, kind of like a weekend recap mm-hmm. and then kind of lead you into the weekend series on Friday morning. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have some fun guests. And as you guys have been hearing, we have ads sprinkled through and, and hopefully that's not too much of a bother for you. And yeah, it's um, it's exciting. We're, we're moving right along. The, the, the following is growing. Um, of course, the Apple is, is doing very nice and all big things. And then you have pitchers and catchers a couple of days away. It's like Christmas. Like with a Pete Alonzo at bat, the Apple is rising. Goddamn right. <laughs> All right, MD, um, everybody could find you. It's at MetsDaddy2013. That's right. All right. All right, buddy. We will see you next time. Everybody, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, subscribe to the email list at the Apple. Follow the Twitter account. You guys know the deal. We'll see you next time. Let's go, Mets. We're out. We're out.